Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome back to Not Another Mummy podcast with me, Alison Perry. When my guest today became a mum to two daughters with her partner Greg, the lead singer of Delays, she had no idea that just a few years later she would watch Greg slowly die of bowel cancer and become a widow and solo mum to their girls. Stacey Heal writes about grief and loss beautifully on her Instagram and is currently writing a book. I am so pleased to have Stacey join me today. Stacey, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? Oh, hello. Hi, Alison. Thank you for having me. I'm good. I am all good. I feel like there's kind of two types of how are you? Like, I suspect that you probably just gave me the stop reply. So let me let, let me ask you the other type. How are you doing? How are you? How? Oh, do you know what? I I have that one a lot, which is how are you? Which is like, mm. it kind of like the intonation goes down and the head tilts and the eyes kind of give you the look, which is like, how are you really? And are you okay being asked how are you or would you rather just I mean I guess it depends who's asking right oh uh, what do you well uh it um no do you know what I'm I'm quite happy giving anybody anybody the answer because I like to talk about things quite honestly I'm really happy to talk to anybody about it so if people do say how are you like, I do wonder sometimes of maybe that's the case for everyone they're like do you do you really want to know do you do you really want me to tell you um, yeah, and also, I guess, uh, I mean, as you well know, grief is something that a lot of people find really hard to deal with. So I would imagine that a lot of people probably ask you the, how are you question, because it's easier for them than hearing how you actually are. Yeah, it's really interesting, actually, just how you said that then of like how we speak definitely gives a lot away. So when people say, how are you? Oh, how are you? In a high pitched tone, that means I want you to tell me that you're okay because that is what yeah. I can deal with. But if people really are concerned and they want to know, I'm not saying the other people aren't concerned, that's not it, but sometimes it's a lot for people. I totally get that. I absolutely get yeah. that. And I know that I have been the other person. I've been the person that someone else has gone through something hard or big and you don't know what to say. Or maybe you're on the school run and it's not it's not really like sit down chat time, but you kind of want to yeah. show that you care, but you can't. Yeah, I, so I, I do get it. I'm I'm never offended by anything at all. 
Anybody it's complex though isn't it and like you say so so much of it is about the other person and maybe they're in a bit of a wobbly place themselves and they just think having a conversation with Stacey right now will tip me over the edge which is obviously completely selfish but essentially we're all quite selfish people I think absolutely and I think I've really understood through the past couple of years that everybody is going through their own thing even if it's not as obvious as mine or dramatic as mine, everyone is going through their own thing. And it's all relative. It's all totally relative. And I've always yeah. said, it's not like, a, it's not a bad, bad time Olympics. I, I have a lot of people that say to me, they either don't want to tell me what's going on for them or they will yeah. with the with the caveat, oh, you know, but it's not as bad as what's going on with you. Like they, yeah. they want, to, and I'm like, it's not I, like I haven't won gold medal of the yeah. shit Olympics. But also, in, in fairness, in fairness to them, it could well be that they feel like I don't really have the right to moan about like my husband who's left a toilet seat up or whatever it is because of what you're going through. I get that. I really, really do get that. But I, but I personally disagree. I'm like that. You can complain about anything you want everything you want yeah Mm. people like children throwing wet towels on the floor nobody Mm. picking anything up absolutely yeah but then I I complain about that stuff as well like it's it's yeah it's uh, it's all just a continuum a continuum and as I all and as I always think about like this is my turn at the moment it's all just big like one big canyon of ups and downs isn't it and at the moment Yeah. yeah I'm very like I'm in a low but then yeah. at another time I won't be and someone else will and I yeah. suppose it's yeah. just about riding it out and having some compassion from other for other people who are going through their own mm-hmm. things and that really can be my husband didn't put a mug in the sink he put it next to the sink and now I actually want to kill him and now I'm genuinely <laughs> thinking about divorce like that yeah. it's all valid it's all valid it's so true actually it's a bit like there has been times when um you know I've been talking about some sort of parenting woe or concern or whatever it is on Instagram and someone might message me saying there's there's wars happening out there oh, you know and it's like yeah. it's like no absolutely 100 percent. and actually some, maybe sometimes that little reality check is good for you because it's a bit it gives you perspective but equally like, I think you were absolutely allowed to be, you know, frustrated about the mug on the side rather than, in, you know, in the sink or whatever it is and have compassion for the bigger, more serious issues happening in the world. Absolutely. I think that we are we're all capable of really understanding and navigating the fact that trivial things and enormous things all happen in the same space and yeah. we don't. I think it's hard. I think on social media, it is really hard to, you don't have to caveat everything with like, I want to talk about the fact that my my child will not go to sleep without me lying on the floor in the dark. I've been doing this for seven years and I <laughs> every night for seven years. Yeah. Um, I don't need to caveat it by saying, I do understand there's a war in Ukraine. Because, like, I would hope that we all just understand that 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 it all exists in the same space. 
it does Mm. and just because you're talking about the fact that your children will only eat crisps as their only source of nutrients doesn't mean that you don't care about politics and I think that's something that I've found say with like dealing with Greg's illness Greg's death the grief that comes afterwards is that one thing that is so clear to me is that real pain and sadness and desperation can literally live in the same space as real joy they 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 all exist they can exist they don't always exist in the same space but they they can and I suppose we just have to let acknowledge that just acknowledge that that can happen so yeah we can talk about the really mundane shit things that on any given day is our is our big deal and it's breaking us yeah and that's all okay it's all okay um so tell us about greg um thinking back you know years what made you fall in love with him apart from the fact that he was like a hot rock star uh (laughs) do you know what what a lovely question to ask that is such a lovely question because and i understand why this happens but everybody asks me about his death of course they do. Mm. Of course they do. That makes loads of sense. But how wonderful to be asked a question about the beginning. That's so lovely. Um, so I knew who Greg was for a long time before we actually met. I was really good friends with his brother, Aaron, who was also in the band. We had gone to college together. And he was just, uh, they, were in a, they were in a band under a different name in Southampton, Um, where I live and so we just knew who he was he was like this very introverted rock star type who had like moppish blonde hair was very shy Uh, at that point used to dress in a very glam rock way he had like he wore like silver trousers and like a leopard print shirt and eyeliner very much part of the kind of like Britpop scene he was very into T-Rex and so everyone kind of knew who he was, but no one really knew him because he was he he didn't have a rock star personality at all, mm. and um, he was very much happy at home reading books. That was his thing. He's there's a really great picture of him somewhere of when Delays played Top of the Pops. There's a picture of him backstage in the green room with headphones on, listening to music, not smoozing with all the other guests and the other musicians that were there. He sat reading a book called uh, A Thousand and One Books to Read Before You Die. (laughs) And I I remember saying to him, could not have set up a more perfect image to represent you as a person. You are at (laughs) top of the pops. Um, What are you doing? What are you doing? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so and then so I knew who he was and obviously he was in a band that was quite famous. So I yeah. And th- I thought he was very, very attractive. He was a very attractive man and he had the most beautiful voice. And because I knew Aaron, I kind of knew the band really well. And then Aaron one day said to, we went for lunch together and he said, I think I'd just broken up with someone. Greg had just broken up with someone. And he said, oh, why don't you meet my brother? I was like, this breakup that I'd had had been really horrible, really horrible. Mm -hmm. And I remember saying, oh, my God, I can't think of anything worse than, like, 
going out with a pop star. Like, I like no, that I, that just sounds stressful. Like you're away yeah. all the time. I can't deal with it. And then Aaron had typed Greg's number into my phone. And um, a couple of weeks later, I was, I'd gone to a friend's house. She was late. So I was sat on her doorstep waiting for her. I was just looking through my phone and I saw it. And I just thought, I'm just going to text him. Just randomly out the blue. He didn't know who I was. And apparently he received the message. He sent me a very nice reply, but then he phoned Aaron livid just going how dare you give my phone number to a stranger oh my god yeah he was he was furious and then weirdly we just started kind of carried on texting and then it got more and more and more and then we're like shall we meet shall we meet and it was weird because I was trying to play it very cool because obviously it wasn't a blind Mm. date because I knew exactly who he was and I was trying very very hard to not seem like someone who knew who he was yeah um, yeah and then it kind of all went from there and then I yeah I tried to play it very cool for a long time and then I was like oh god you're just a boy yeah you're just a boy who likes reading and painting and making music yeah and it went from there that's so nice that's so nice and your two daughters they came along a few years later didn't they yeah, they were born. Oh God, I'm not going to be able to do the maths in my head. Yeah, they were born in yeah 2013. So yeah, maybe seven years into our relationship. But that makes it sound like they're twins. They're not. Dali was born in 2013. <laughs> Babe was born in 2015. And what was life like? What was family life like before Greg had the diagnosis? Um, I saw you talk on your Instagram about how it can be hard to talk about the hard and the bad bits of someone who's died or your relationship with them, like that kind of like don't speak ill of the dead thing. Um, yeah. I'm guessing like most families, you've had your ups and downs. Mm, yeah, I think, uh, as I'm sure anybody listening who has had small children can attest that those years are hard. Those years are hard when you have as well as having babies in quite quick succession there's exactly two years between our daughters and I think we were all geared up with the first one and it had come about because two people really close to us had died actually and it was the thing that spurred us on to get pregnant it was a mm-hmm. a little bit like what we're we waiting for you know let's let's do this and I got pregnant really quickly so I think with Darley there was a huge amount of excitement and it was great. I think we both took to parenting really, really well. And then it was only, it was when Bay, not sorry, Dali, our eldest, that was when I think Greg started to get unwell mm. or having some very physical signs of what was going on inside him. And I that we then got pregnant with Bay. I had a really terrible pregnancy. I was just I just didn't feel well. I was trying to do my full-time job as a university lecturer in a very senior role, have a toddler at home, try and manage that, and then Greg who was becoming more and more and more ill, but we didn't know why. And I think there was a lot of tension between us in that period that was kind of building and then Bay was born, which was lovely, but she didn't stop crying. 
um and it was one of those situations that all all people direct you to colic that infamous word that kind of means nothing um and no one can really tell you anything about it and so she never stopped crying I developed postnatal depression that was very Mm. very linked to uh, a non-stop crying baby and a partner who literally was constantly ill and having a toddler and trying to do all of it and I think there were some big cracks that were happening between me and Greg in this period you know as I've said that's very normal it's that sleep deprivation Mm. uh, not knowing what's wrong with the baby trying to juggle all of the things and someone who is really very very ill at the same time and and then he was diagnosed with stage four cancer and it all happened at once. It wasn't like he was diagnosed with cancer and then it he had treatment and then it turned into terminal cancer. It all happened like immediately. He was very, very ill. And I kind of, it galvanized me. It was like, I just thought, right, I've got to kind of get on my game here. I think I was really functioning on adrenaline at that time and I think what happened as well is that the the difficulty is is that like you were saying about not speaking ill of the dead it's not about speaking ill but it's about speaking about the complexities of relationships because we then went into his terminal diagnosis with a situation that we never ever got to resolve we were so deep in this tornado of external things that were happening to us that we were trying to contend with that we just became very, very separate. And then we were thrown into this situation and there was never, ever any time for us to deal with it. And, um, that must and he was tough. Yeah. Yeah, it was. He, um, and he was ill for five years. We did, we I did not think that he would live for five years um but he did and um yeah he died at the end of 2021 and then how much how much did you tell your girls during those five years so how much were they how much were they aware of what was happening to their dad at the beginning um not much because Bay Bay had literally just turned one um he was diagnosed on her birthday her first birthday um and then Dali was two no three sorry three about a week later so um they were so young but as they got older they understood that there was something wrong with daddy and that he had stomach problems and that we had to leave him alone a lot. He had to be in bed a lot. And that we needed to keep the volume down downstairs. We couldn't just be screaming all the time. We couldn't have really loud music on. He had to go to hospital a lot. Sometimes he would go and stay at his um, his mum and dad's. But as they got older, so they were five and seven when he died, it became harder and harder because there were these questions about... What's wrong with dad? Why is he never getting better? Is he ever going to get better? Am I going to catch this? Did I do this? Have I have I done this? 
Um, so we, it was a really delicate balance of what to tell them. I think something else that was very difficult is that me and Greg had very, very different ideas about what we should do. And oh, really? As, yeah, as as kind of parents across the land will will recognise probably in their own relationships to do with parenting decisions of how you parent your your children. And in yeah. this situation, we had very, very different ideas about how we should go about it. I wanted to tell them more. I wanted to explain more of what was going on. Greg didn't want them to know anything mm. at all. Um, but as time was going on, it became harder and harder and it was only when Greg went into hospice when he was told he only had a few weeks left to live um that was when we had to sit them down and tell them that Greg was going to die soon and and again we had very different ideas about that as well I mean that is I don't know when you're thinking about having children you think about you might have a chat about what kind of parent you're going to be and think, oh, who's going to be the more lenient one? Who's going to be the one that says, oh, yeah, you can stay out an, an hour later. Or, yes, you can have that packet of sweets. Those will be the kind of things you don't imagine that you're going to be think you're going to be having a disagreement about when should we tell them that you're going to die? Like, yeah. it, it doesn't enter your head as as one of the parenting decisions you're going to have to make together yeah of course and that must have been just so much for you because not only are you processing that your partner your husband is is going to die you've got to try and work out what's the best way to communicate this to our children like like how did you even how did you even cope with that huge task I think during Greg's illness for those five years, I think I I acquiesced in a lot of things because I think I really understood that this was his illness and that his say in this kind of vetoed mine, that it was his, that really it was more his decision. Um, I sometimes question that now, that whether that was the right decision. Um but as time went on and we we knew that we were getting nearer and nearer to the end there was i think i gained more understanding that i was the person who was going to be left with them and yeah. that i had to make decisions that were going to be best for me and for yeah. them and about what the after looked like and those were some of the very, very worst conversations I ever, ever had in my relationship to do with feeling like I had to choose between Greg, who was literally dying in front of me, um, or my children. Um, yeah. And the kind of the torn nature of that. Um yeah, it That's was tough. yeah, e That's tough. easily, easily one of the worst uh, moments. And also very, when we did actually tell them um, very, very much a surreal out of body 
experience. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. And did you do anything like to prepare for that? Like, Did you read up? Did you kind of seek advice as to how to deliver that news with the kind of least negative impact I guess yeah I'd I had been doing reading for years years and years I am a researcher by nature so I was reading all about childhood grief and how ways to talk to children so I definitely knew and I knew that you've got to be very very direct you do have to use words like die death died you can't be using ambiguous words because even though I thought we were being really really clear there were still questions that came up afterwards where because they're kids like they don't think like us they their understanding of what this means is different to us they they don't understand at that age the permanence of death so you have to be very very clear about what is happening and that it is final um so yeah we had to we had to think about that and uh but it was actually Greg who it was Greg who told them and I can't imagine for for all the disagreements we had had before that about that moment I can't imagine a worse thing to have to do yeah. I, I I can't then tell then sit down and tell your children who are little, they were five and seven, that you're about to die and you're not going to be there for their life. Yeah. And how have they been in the time since? So we're now um, a year and a half on, are we? Yeah, just over a year and a half. Um, how, how, how are they coping? Uh, it's interesting. <laughs> that sounds like a very flippant word, but... I think they, children definitely go through grief in a different way to adults. Um, but at the same time, they do share some some of the the kind of the traits that we go through as well. I would say that for the first year, I think all of us really were in shock. It's just this something inside you is a little bit frozen, even though you have like big big feelings there is still something inside you that is just that froze on that day and hasn't quite thawed out yet and I think Mm. that happened for me I think it happened for them as well I think that when people saw them in that first year they saw them 
really, really like normal kids, happy, playing, doing stuff. And I think a lot of people's response to that was, aren't they doing well? Aren't they doing well? Kids are really resilient. Kids are really resilient. And I had to say to people, no, 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 they are not. Because actually what they do, um, a lot of charities that do work about this to do with child bereavement is that they do something called puddle jumping, which is where they cannot cope with these emotions that they're feeling. So they will jump in a puddle for a little bit, feel it, try to process it a bit and then jump out and then kind of kick in with and I you can see that a lot of like whenever you've wanted to have like a serious chat with a kid you can sit down with them for whatever that is and try to kind of say this is what's happening and they'll go all right okay can I go and play with my toys and you're like did you hear what I said and they did yeah they did hear what you said but actually they can't they can't take that on as me or Mm. you could but they will be thinking about it. And then maybe in two days time, when you're going to bed, when you're putting them to bed, suddenly something will come out. And that is exactly what childhood grief looks like. Um, I think that there's also been lots of way, different ways that it comes out in them. So I've seen a lot of regression, as in kind of age regression to do with, goodness, all sorts of things, speech behavior, um, ability, um, lots and lots of separation anxiety, huge. And some behavior problems like kicking off, pushing the boundaries, anger. Um, But I think now in the year two, it's like because we're thawing out from these, from that shock, I think all of us are kind of going, oh, God, this is real. And again, Mm. now they are nine and seven. So the reality of it all is really kicking in. And I definitely think there's some more complex issues that are coming out now about control, about really understanding that, you know, to lose a parent, you realize there is so little control that you have in the world and being terrified of that. They are very concerned about me. They are terrified about me dying and me being out in the world they've got huge continued separation anxiety um yeah I mean the list rumbles on really and you realize quite quickly that as the parent as well that they are going to experience loss differently at every age because I think there's a different set of emotions probably when you're 13 about your dad dying compared to maybe when you're 16 compared to when you're 19 and I think that probably is why if if you ever read anything about grief or anyone who talks about grief will say grief doesn't end in that sense which is a terrible thing I remember reading about that before Greg died I was like Jesus that is not what I want to read I want to read it sounds like this relentless thing Absolutely. Yeah. I want to read about the five steps of grief and I want to rattle through those as quickly as possible. I want to be a grade. Yeah. A grade A student. I'll take it all on. I'll learn all I can and I'll rattle through them and I will graduate with an A. And and then you realize that that's not how it works. It doesn't end. 
but I suppose what you do is that you grow around it it's just like a thing that's in you um it's just but it becomes almost like if you imagine yourself as uh, maybe like a jar of marbles, maybe like grief is one of the marbles in your jar, but the other yeah. marbles could be like really great stuff, like the birth of your the birth of your child, or your relationship with your nan, or uh, the fact that you love running. Like, do you know what I mean? There's all of these things that make us up, and I suppose that's the thing: is that grief just becomes one of them. Yeah. And I suppose, like, yeah. and over your lifetime, you have different griefs for different people, for different things. And I suppose they all get added to the jar as well. Um, so it's always there. But I suppose as time goes on, you you grow around. You, more things come, more things to add to the jar. Yeah. And what kind of things um, have you put in place to support your girls in the last kind of year and a half? Like just in terms of like conversations that you're having or little habits that you've got into or any more structured supports, what what are you doing? Um, oh God, uh, I I feel like I've kind of run the gamut with all of this because because we knew what was coming, we had that knowledge that this was going to happen. Um, I spoke to their schools really early, so they had support in place at school way before Greg died years and years before Greg died but obviously the schools at the moment are absolutely inundated with kids who have lots of problems um, especially after Covid and the pandemic so the Elsas in schools are dealing with not even just kids with emotional issues but um, or, or like very tangible problems that are happening but it's also just the remnants of the pandemic and new levels of anxiety they're dealing with neurodivergent kids they're dealing with behavior um so actually they're so finely spread that they they haven't had as much support as I as I would have liked at school that's not a criticism it just kind of of the school it just is because of the volume of kids that they're seeing um one thing I found out of trying to navigate the internal systems that are say within schools and externally say with cams um grief and bereavement do not come under any category for any mental health support that is deemed something very very different uh so they kind of slip through the net under lots and lots of different support that is available Uh, But unfortunately, what's happened, say, with one of my daughters is that her grief has manifested itself in a way into a mental health issue. So now she's now eligible for to come under the mental health at schools team, which is kind of one underneath CAMS. Um, But again, you have this lengthy, lengthy process to see if if people are eligible and again they're seeing multiple layers of children coming to see them yeah. um i've put in place a lot of things like i've i've referred to them as lighthouse adults which is people in their life that they know love them and support them because i think one of the things that they fear is 
everybody else going. So when they're in that yeah. space, we all we like to list all of the people that love you. So they can see this big, big, big list and group of people, adults who are around, who who care for them and that they are surrounded by that. Um, that seems to help them a lot. And they it's difficult because what I also didn't realise before this happened, I was thinking, oh, yeah, we'll go to this group and we'll get this support from them and I'll buy all the books that you that are available about grief uh, and death for children. What I didn't navigate was, well, because I had no idea, was that both of them would look at these books and go, why would I want to read a book about death? Why on mm. earth do I want to read a book about being sad? So none of those books yeah. were read, none of them. And there's a great charity near where we live called Simon Says, which specifically is about childhood bereavement. We went to it once and it's such a great thing. This, and what's terrifying is that there's so many kids there. There are so many kids there. Um, and I didn't anticipate the fact that my kids would not want to do anything in a group. Mm. For them, they were like, this is the worst thing on earth. Oh, what? Now we're in a group of loads of other people whose parents have died. No, thanks. Yeah. So I'm yeah. like, oh, yeah, I get it, actually. Yeah, that makes you feel really different. That makes you feel yeah. like you're in a really terrible gang. Yeah, um, a gang that you just don't want to be in. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as you get older, you feel differently about it because I, for example, started writing on Instagram because I so desperately wanted a gang. I desperately needed to feel like I was seen by other people who were my age in my life experience that understood what I was going through. But I think for them at their age they just see it as like this badge of I'm different and you don't want to be different yeah. at that age do you you want to be the same as everyone else so yeah it's it's been difficult um and I've been working on this for so long and we still we're still trying to find a good fit for both of them because they have very very different needs as well they are experiencing mm -hmm. things in very very different ways they have very different personalities so yeah, it's a very, it's a, it's a long ongoing process. Yeah. Um, so what are the things then that no one tells you about grief and losing a partner that you've had to discover along the way? <laughs> oh my God, this is a, uh, well, this is a chapter in my book that I'm writing, which is uh, all about the things that people don't tell you about different situations about being a woman actually it's 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 definitely broader than just being a a wife who has lost her husband but specifically to do with grief what do what do people not tell you um goodness so much they don't tell you that you can actually be really happy at the same time that people think that you will just be very sad and you won't be able to experience joy or laughter but that's not the case at all um they definitely don't tell you that there is a biological thing that happens where you will become very very horny after uh someone dies really? um, and it's oh 
God, this is like the best kept secret in the world. Until you know about it, it's very much a, if you know, you know, kind of situation. Yeah. Talk to anybody who's had someone really, really close to them. And I don't think this is just like a widow, widower thing. I think it's kind of across the board. Um, It's kind of like why me and Greg had had Dali straight after two people we were really close to died. It's this, it's the closeness of death that reminds you so vividly that you are alive and that you are so terrified of death that you want to feel alive. You want to prove that you exist, that you are a human. That's so interesting. Yeah. It's, it's referred to in, uh, in certain circles as widow's fire, um, and it's it's oh. it it is very very much a thing. Yes, uh, no one tells you about that. Wow. Um, no one tells you about uh, like the cutoff points of like when people will stop messaging you. So having like this huge outpouring of uh, I would refer to them as grief tourists which kind of people who were not around before but want a front row seat uh, of what's happening because it's quite It's weird that, interesting. isn't it? Why do you think people do that? Oh, it well, it's, you know, again, not a criticism actually because I slow down on a motorway as well when there's been a crash because I want to have a good old look. Um, mm. it's, it's rubbernecking, isn't it? It's, I think it's a human fascination of what's going on what's happening you kind of invest in something because you want to you want, to have, you want mm. to have a good old look especially because maybe it's a situation you don't see as often so you're like I don't know maybe you're wondering what it would look like for you yeah or yeah. or there's this feeling of I don't know um I'm glad it's not me mm. I can look mm. on I can be around because this is making me feel better about myself because it's not me. And again, that's yeah. not a criticism like, either. I've most certainly done. I remember really, really clearly. It was the it was the weirdest thing. Before Greg was diagnosed, I would say maybe a month before Greg was diagnosed, he had a friend, an old school friend, who'd had a brain tumour for years and years. And then suddenly he read a message that said, he's got three months to live. And they had they had triplets, which is mm. young, young triplets. And I yeah. remember I'd just got in from work. I Dali was like just over a year old. I and I went upstairs and I cried. I'd never met them, but I cried for his wife. Mm. You know, having these young kids and just being told that her husband was about to die. And I cried for her as a mother. Because I was like, I don't know what that would feel like. And I also thought to myself, thank God that's not me. Yeah. And then it was me. It's a normal Lit- reaction, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Absolutely. And and I do it. I do it now. I listen to other people's situations. And I think to myself, Jesus, I'd rather have my situation. Like, even, even that, I'm thinking, wow, I don't know how you... I don't know how you're going to cope with that. I don't know how I would cope with that. Yeah. I'll stick I'll stick with my lot actually. So yeah, I think I think it's really really normal. It is normal. So when so you were saying that when 
when that dies down, there is like a period where people stop texting and stop getting in touch with you. Mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think the... I think the sadness around that, because also I get it. I totally get it. Everyone's got their own lives. Everyone's got their own things. People are busy. And that is just the nature of the world. That's how the world works. We move on. That's, that is how it is. Um, I suppose for the person who's kind of at the epicenter of it, the sadness for me was that it was after that point that people stopped talking to me about Greg. And that's why I loved you asking about him, not necessarily like his death or the aftermath, but yeah, people stop asking you about the person because they are terrified of upsetting you, terrified of, and I know the thing that people have said again and again, I've seen it across the kind of the grief community is I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to remind you. And I'm like, well, what makes you think I forgot? <laughs> like, what makes you think that like it's not ever present? Um, yeah. And actually, the the one of the best things that anybody could do, and I would highly suggest this to anybody who's listening to this, is say to someone who's had someone die in their life, "Oh, I've got this." Do you know what? I thought about so-and-so the other day. I I was remembering when. And tell the story. Tell the funny story. Tell the poignant story. Um, mention them. Just mention them. Say their name. Bring them back into the conversation. And it will bring a light into the other person that is just pure joy. And even if that, do you know what? Even if there's tears so what it doesn't matter it's tears can also be joy of like wow I'm I so love hearing that story it makes me sad because they're dead but also that's okay that's it's all of the emotions at once um yeah and so after that period it's like the door is shut and we won't bring we won't bring Greg up again because it will just be too sad um, and I, I wrote only yesterday on Instagram, I had found some photos of me and Greg on my mum's computer that I had never seen. And they are from when I was pregnant with Dali when I was 32 and when she was born, like, so maybe she was six months old. Oh my God, the joy, the joy of seeing us then together together in one picture it's not just like oh here's a picture of Greg on his own it was it was this wonderful reminder that we were real because as time goes on I you know I'm still very early days in it this is not really that long since he died but you do forget you do forget things and it's this wonder to bring someone up into conversation or to see things um over time people have sent me a photograph um of greg maybe one i haven't seen and someone ages ago sent me one that they had taken of me and greg at a wedding that we didn't know was being taken and it's us really close together talking intensely talking to each other (gasps) what a gift what a gift uh yeah to kind of prove that we were there we were together 
Yeah, I mean, and so also there was I... a there was a you that existed before the diagnosis, before this kind of oh, overtook your lives. Yes, absolutely, and it's oh, it definitely is one of my hopes that over time I will remember Greg more as the healthy person. Mm. I think because he was ill for so long, and his and his death was kind of so huge, such an impact that. It's 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 harder at the moment to remember him like he was, and I'm really hoping that as time goes on, that will change. Yeah. That I can remember him when he was well and um, playing with the kids on the floor and jumping around on a stage, and being a really vibrant person. Before I let you go um, and get on with your day, tell us where can we find you online to read your beautiful writing about life and death and grief and everything in between oh thank you uh you can find me on instagram at stacy underscore heel uh spell h-e-a-l-e uh i'm only on instagram because thought being on any other platform makes me tired (laughs) i think it's a good move i think it's a good move um stacy thank you so much for joining me today it's been wonderful to chat to you Oh, thank you, Alison. Thank you so much. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.